Let's make some noise for our children. Come on, we love our kids. You can find your way into a, into a seat there. Hey, before I, I uh, introduce Pastor Ron, who's going to come and, and share the word with us, I just as we were uh, just the, talking about origins and just, um, you know, we've been a couple of times. I'm going to go again this year. I wasn't able to go last year. And I'm just, it is a powerful thing to sit in an auditorium and see God intersect the lives of young people. That, that you know, it, it sets a course. It sets a, a trajectory for their destiny. And uh, I'm just telling, and, and, and as Vanessa said, so many of those children that, that find their way into those conferences are, are not coming out of households where, where, where Christ reigns. And so it's in those settings, and only those settings at times, where, where they're in a spiritually enriching environment. And so part of what that means is it's not valued by those families, and so families aren't going to put money into those events. You with me? Does that make sense? And so I'm just, I'm believing that there's, there's five people in here tonight, and Vanessa and I are going to be one of them. So we just need four more. You with me? That there's four other people in here tonight. They're going to write a check for $100 and give to Justin. So we don't want kids to have to wait to ask. We want to be able to go after those kids because we know who they are and say, hey, we've got a scholarship. It's already been paid, and we're going to send you. And so I'm just telling we're going to write a check tonight, and I think there's four other families in here tonight in this room who can write a check to $100 and give it to Pastor Justin, make it payable to the City Life Church, put origins in the memo, and, uh, and we're going to make sure every one of those kids can go. Amen? You with me there? All right, come on, it's good. So, so um, you know, as before Pastor Ron comes, we, you know, the, none of us are ever going to be the same after spending a weekend with them at the, at the Virginia Beach for the marriage getaway. But the, but the one thing we do know for certain, we don't know if we're going to change in all the ways that he's challenged us, but we do know this for certain that the families of the City Life Church are going to have the cleanest garages in all of Hampton Roads. So you have to come, right? You gotta, if you want to be a part of the story, you got to be present in the moment. So, so that's, we're just going to lay that out there. Lay that out there. I'm cleaning mine tomorrow morning. I'm getting up early before church. So, so we, we have had a great, great time with them. You know, one of my, I call it my, my leadership Bible. It's, it's by Calvin Miller. It's called The Empowered Leader. And uh, it, it, is, it is the book that I go to when I have questions about leadership or if I want to sharpen my own leadership. I, I just keep going. I've been going back to that book for about 10 years now. And, and uh, in this book, he identifies three criteria that are essential for any person who wants to be great as a leader. In fact, he goes as far to say not everybody would buy into it. I certainly do. I buy into it that, that your ceiling as a leader is going to be determined by these three things. And, and they're inner substance. Their magnetic motivation and outward daring. Inner substance, magnetic motivation, and outward daring. And, and the degree to which you can lead is dictated and determined by how big those three things are in, in your life. And uh, you, you can't be around Pastor Ron and Sandy for too long and know that they have to get out a different scale to measure them when it comes to those three things. And, uh, and we are just favored of God that they can be here with us on this weekend and to minister to us in the name of Christ and to, uh, and to lead us in God's word in this moment. So can you give him a warm City Life welcome as he comes?
inner substance ought to be able to turn the microphone on. I mean, after all. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what a great church and what a great night. I, I, my first time here was probably three years ago. And uh, I just at that moment in time felt such a real deep connection. Our oldest son and his, do- his wife came here and their two daughters uh, for a period of time. They're now living in Orlando and had shared with us the great things that God was doing here at City Life Church. And I tell you, we came then, experienced it, but it's going to another level. And I'll tell you, I'm just very, very excited. I think you're part of a great church. You've got great pastors and Pastor Fred and Vanessa. Why don't you let them know you appreciate them? I want you to grab your Bibles and look with me in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. And uh, I want to just speak to you. I understand you all are uh, at at least involved in your your small groups, uh, maybe in the the Saturday evening service in the Circle Maker as well. And uh, the whole issue of prayer and going after God and seeking to receive things from the Lord. How many of you believe it's important that we learn how to receive things from the Lord? I think it's essential. If, if you are going to receive something from God, here's what the Scripture says. Anyone who comes to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, I will tell you this, that the primary reward for seeking Him is always finding Him. Amen? It's always finding Him. But it is also We seek Him in moments of crisis. We seek Him in moments of need. We seek Him in times where we need to get a hold of something from Him. And that's what I want to deal with tonight. And this message is literally learning how it's pressing in to God's moments. Pressing in to God's moments. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. This this story is also in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 7. But it, it says this in Matthew Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That would be north of, of, of Israel in what is in modern-day Lebanon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt down before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that that your word is a lamp to our feet. It shows us where we're at, where we're standing. It's a light to our pathway. It shows us the direction we should go. I ask you tonight, Holy Spirit, would you speak, would you take these words and cause them to fit every life in this room? 
Would you transform men and women's lives in their situation? Lord, release your anointing tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, every time I read that story, I am quite amazed because it's almost like Jesus is being uh, very rude, uh, to say the least. I, I mean, you think, why in the world would you take this woman in her time of need and all that she was walking through, and it was almost like she was just being completely ignored. In fact, she was being ignored by the disciples. And then at another point in time, she, she just keeps going after Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, uh, it's not good for me to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Uh, and, and so, I mean, the, the, the whole aspect of the story seems just a little harsh. Would you agree? It just kind of seems hard. But the fact of the matter is this that this woman is coming to Jesus at a set point in time. And I, I think this is, this is an interesting uh, story in that it teaches us how to get a hold of and get things from God. How many of you know what, the, you know, in, in, in the Scripture, there are two distinctive words that are, are dealt with with the word time. First of all, chronos time. That's the kind of time that, you know, we're... 5.55 tonight, you know, seven hours or seven uh, days in a week, 24 hours in a day, chronos time. But then there is another distinctive kind of time that's mentioned in Scripture, and that's kairos time. And kairos time is different from chronos time. Kairos time is a window in time where God does something supernatural. And here's something that's interesting about this story. This woman, in the chronos time, Jesus would not do for this woman anything because it wasn't the time for the Gentile world yet. It wasn't the time. Uh, it was still kind of a, a, it was a season. Jesus even says, he says, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. My message is for them. It's not your time yet. But this woman seems to be able to get a hold of God in such a way that she, she presses past all of the barriers and all of the hurdles and literally it's as if she by her faith carves out a kairos moment in chronos time a kairos moment that that supernatural window in time where god does something that ordinarily wouldn't have even happened or wouldn't have happened at least in that season and I, I find that, that, there, that there's great lessons for us in, in this. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, it says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Forceful men lay hold of it. How many of you think you, it would be good for us to learn how to move in prayer to the degree that we literally, even in our own life, in our own situation, can experience those kairos moments in our life. I'll tell you what, I want that more than anything because when you get to the point that you understand how to supernaturally reach out by faith and lay a hold of God's promise, lay a hold of the kingdom of God and draw the kingdom of God into your life, let me tell you something, you are experiencing a kairos moment. Now, let's, let's look at some of the principles tonight from this, just some of the truths that we can begin to apply to our life from this story. 
I, I want you to see this first. Uh, in, in Matthew's account, he says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And then it just kind of jumps over and it says, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. But if you look in, Matthew, uh, in Mark's, chap, Mark's account, in, in Mark 7, it, it expands on that just a little bit. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. In other words, he was there secretly. He was there probably to just kind of take a break. Yet, he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard, he's speaking about this woman, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little, little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. Uh, the first thing I want you to see about prayer and about getting a hold and pressing in to God's moment is this, that there has to be a moment of decision, a decisiveness in your life if you are going to get a hold of what God wants. Too many times in, in our prayer life, too many times in the way that we approach God, for the, we, we have this ambivalent attitude about it. We, we don't really make a, a decision that we want to get a hold of what God wants in our life. There was something in this, in, in this woman that propelled her past all of the normal barriers. She, was, she wasn't Jewish. And if, if you understand anything about that region and the peoples of that region, there was not association between the Jewish people and these people. There was no connection between them. In fact, there was this general disdain for the people of that region. She already knew that. She already knew that. But in spite of that, in spite of all the natural barriers, the hindrances, the things that would normally discourage her, she made up her mind for the sake of her little girl. She was going to get a hold of God. Now, I want to tell you something. If there's been anything that I have learned in my life about prayer, it is this, that God seems to wait to the moment that I am willing to absolutely make up my mind that it doesn't matter what it takes, it doesn't matter what kind of obstacle may be in my way, it doesn't matter how big uh, the, the pressures may be, that I have pressed through, that I've made up my mind I'm going to press through. The Bible says this in the book of James, that the double-minded man, that's the, the, the man that thinks he wants something from God and then he's not sure. He thinks he wants something from God, then he's not sure. He's back and forth, the ambivalent man, the man that is, is not decisive. The Bible says, for that man not to think he shall receive anything from the Lord. In other words, if we are going to get a hold of God, if we're going to press into God, if we're going to press into God's moment, if we are going to, by faith, be able to receive something from God in the same way that this woman did, that there has to come a place in our life where we have made up our mind we want to get a hold of what God has for us. doesn't matter what it else, what it is. I'm sure tonight if I were to, to uh, just go around the room and ask for the, 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 the various needs that are represented here, that there would be a long list of needs, a long list of things in people's life where you need God, where you need to experience a kairos moment, a supernatural window in your life where the power and presence of God transforms your circumstance and your situation. It begins with 
a decision. It begins with a made-up mind that I'm going to get a hold of God. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll stay up nights. I'll press past my physical exhaustion. I'll press past even food. I'll press past anything else that might stand in my way. I want to get a hold of what God has for me. Even in this woman's situation, it wasn't even a promise that was given to her. These weren't even promises for those people. But she, there was something in this woman that refused to be denied what was available. She knew it was available. And since she knew it was available, she was not going to be denied in any way, shape, or form. I believe one of the reasons why we don't see more oftentimes of the the supernatural uh, manifest in our life is simply because we don't take the time to really press past all of those obstacles. We don't make up our mind. We want to get a hold of that. You know, as long as we can live in a a, a way where we've got some alternatives, we never get to the point where we are desperate enough to make up our mind. I remember a number of years ago, uh, a, a great evangelist, his name was T.L. Osborne. He's with the Lord now. He just passed away in his 90s, maybe a couple of years ago. And uh, I, I, I remember him saying, because he came to our church in, in, in Orlando when I was first pastoring. And I, I was asking him, I said, how do you decide where to go to for your meetings? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, well, I look for the place where there's the biggest problem. I thought, man, that's a unique way. He said, wherever I see the biggest problem going on, that's to where I'm going to go and I'm going to preach. I said, why do you go there? He said, because the Bible says where, great, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. So I figured there's magnified grace where there's a magnified problem. I thought that's a unique way to look at it. He said, so I'll go there and I'll preach and teach the Word. And in that context where people have a huge problem, they have a huge degree of desire to get a hold of God and to see their circumstances changed. You know what? I find this, that my desire and my problems run uh, uh, parallel. That, that, that as my problems intensify, so does my desire intensify. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we're praying for, for, uh, for God to do something in our life, and what we see happen in our life is an intensification of problems. We don't know it is really an opportunity that is being expanded before our very eyes that God wants to do something in our life. We've got to make up our mind that we want that more than we want anything. The second thing I want you to see about this lady is not only do you see her decision, but I want you to see her desperation. Her desperation. If you look in, in verse 22, it says that this Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, crying out. Now, how many of you know there's prayer and then there's prayer? There, there, there's prayer, you know, Lord, I, I just want this. I want you to do this for me. I need this. And then there's another kind of prayer. There's that kind of prayer that when you are overwhelmed by the degree of your problems, when you're overwhelmed by the magnitude of what's weighing down, weighing down on your life, that you're you're absolutely, you become so desperate, so absolutely overwhelmed by it that you cry out. I've noticed in my own life that that's when my prayer life shifts out of desperation. Maybe you just get some bad news about something. 
Maybe, maybe the doctors have given you bad news. Maybe there's some bad news going on in your business. Or maybe there's some other set of circumstances. And you will find that running right alongside that need is also where your desperation comes. And your desperation can rise up. And that's what happened to this woman. She cries out. The word literally means, when it says to cry out, it literally means to shout. It means to utter loudly, to beg, to beseech, to shed tears, often noisily, to weep, to sob, to sound out, or to call. I mean, this, this lady was not being casual. How many of you think this does not sound remotely like a religious woman? This, this woman is a woman that is overwhelmed with her circumstance, overwhelmed with her need in the midst of a huge problem, and she wants to see it changed. She's desperate to see it changed. She had obviously heard the reports about what Jesus had done, about the miracles that had taken place, about other lives being changed and healed. She didn't know anything about theology. She didn't know anything about, well, this was, wasn't the time for the Gentiles yet. She probably didn't even realize she was a Gentile. And it didn't matter. None of those things mattered to her. The only thing that mattered to her was she had a need and she had heard Jesus is the answer. And when he shows up in town, she shows up at his door. And she's not quiet about it. She's out there. She's going for it. She's going for it. In fact, she is not only going to Jesus the group of disciples that Jesus had brought with him, she's going to them. She is generally making a nuisance of herself. She is not stopping. And she will not be quiet even when they say, shh, 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 just quiet down. Just calm down. Just sit down. Just be quiet. Just go away. Just do whatever you can do, but just do it over there. No, she's desperate. She's desperate. Now listen. If you're going to receive from God, if you're going to press into what God has, and, and, and if there is going to be something you're going to get a hold of God for in your life, it starts with a decision, but I will tell you something, there cannot be ambivalence in it. There must be a level of desperation in it. If your prayer life lacks desperation, it's, according to E.M. Bounds, prayer without passion is not prayer at all. Desperation produces passion, doesn't it? Desperation produces a, a fire, a zeal in the soul that propels you past whatever resistance or obstacles you might find. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm chapter 3, verse 4, it says, To the Lord, the psalmist says, To the Lord, I cry aloud. I cry aloud. And he answers me from his holy hill. Psalm 55, 17, evening, morning, and noon, the psalmist says, I cry out in my distress, and he hears my voice. He hears my voice. In Psalm 18, verse 6, in my distress, in other words, when, when, when the problems overwhelmed me, when the cares of life had weighted me down, when my, my problem became so big and so insurmountable that I, I knew there was nothing in the natural that I could do about it, I cried out. I cried out in my distress. I called to the Lord. I cried out. 
to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And then in Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears, listen, are attentive to their cry. Listen, my friend, when you reach the point where your problem is huge and you want to see an answer and you are looking, you have to press past. Maybe, again, it's not even the, the time for it. Maybe, maybe it's out of season as it was for this woman. This is, she's out of season. She, she, she has no, no uh, covenantal right to go to Jesus like she's going. But it didn't matter. It did not matter. She was willing to push past all of that to get a hold, lay a hold of what she knew was available. That's what the Bible's referring to when it says the king from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forcefully lay hold of it. I mean, lay hold of it. What is it that God has promised to you? Are you laying hold of it? What is it that God has in store for you? What is it that you are wanting to see God do in your life? Can you press in to God's moment? Can you press in by faith, literally to carve out by faith a kairos moment in your life? God wants to do that in every one of our lives. I believe it pleases God. I believe it thrills God to see that kind of situation. The next thing I want you to see is, is, is in, in, in this desperation, not only is she crying out, but she's pleading. She's pleading. She's pleading like a lawyer pleads. She's pleading. Like, like a litigator would plead his case before a jury or before a judge. So she's pleading her case. Jesus says to her, Hey, let's look, look at the text again. Jesus says to her, I'm sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt down before him. Lord, help me. Help me. She, she's pleading. She, she's appealing to the compassion of the Lord. He says, it's, it's, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. He called the woman a dog. I mean, come on. But what does she do? She doesn't stop there. She, she's pleading like a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I'm astonished at this woman. It's like she's not giving up. You see, faith, there is a level of tenacity. There is a level of, of, of drive in real faith that will get a hold of what God wants to bring into a, your life. So here she is. She's pleading. She's pleading. Yeah, e even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You, you know, a lot of people think you can't make deals with God. I want to tell you something. God is the ultimate deal maker. I will tell you, He is the ultimate deal maker. My, my mother, when she was five years old, was dying. In that time, my mother now is 86. So this is 81 years ago, and at that time she was, she was living in West Florida, and it was, medical care was obviously not what it is today, 
and she was, was dying. She'd contracted a, a severe intestinal, uh, what was dysentery. And she, she literally had stayed in that state for days and, and was at the end. And they, they had a screen that they would put up around the beds of the people when they were approaching the last, they, the, the last few hours of their life. They would bring a screen in and they would place a screen around the bed. And it was a sign to the family that the doctors had done everything they could, and it was over. And my grandfather was there, and this was his five-year-old daughter. He was lost as he could be. He did not know God. He had never been raised to know God. But when that doctor came in and they set that screen around my mother's bed, my grandfather hit his knees and he began to cry out. He began to cry out to God. And he made a deal with God. He knew that at that time, in the natural, there was nothing left that could be done for his little girl. But he made a deal with God. And you know what his deal was? If you will spare her life, I will give you my life. And I will tell you, that day, God touched and healed my mother. And that day, my grandfather, his life was never the same. He gave his life. Now, God was not looking for an exchange of a natural life for a natural life. But what God did was he took and spared a natural life and gave eternal life to my grandfather. Come on, give God praise. Gave eternal life to my grandfather. That moment, my grandfather's life was literally transformed. He went home and threw away. He was an alcoholic. He threw away all of, it, all of the alcohol he had. He threw away all of the, the tobacco and the, that he had. He did anything he could, anything in the natural he could that he felt was any kind of chain or hold on his life. He threw it all away. So much so that my aunt, my mom's younger sister, said, what's wrong with daddy? He threw his good cigarettes away. He gave God his life. My grandfather never looked back. Never look back. The picture, the image that I have of my grandfather to this day is him in his 80s, sitting in his chair, reading his Bible, having given his life to God. He never looked back. I'm going to tell you, God is the ultimate deal maker. He is the ultimate deal maker. You see that again in Genesis chapter 18, verse 22 until through 25. God says he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, the men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham, and those are the ones who had just announced the destruction. But, Sodom, but Abraham re remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. What's he doing? He's pleading just like a lawyer pleads. He's litigating his case before the throne of the Almighty. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? 
That's what he's, that's the heart cry that he says, far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? He's pleading his case and appealing to the character of God. And God says, okay, if you can find 50, I won't do it. He couldn't find 50, so he comes back. What about 40? All right, if you can find 40. Then 30. Then 20. Then 10. And he gives up at 10. I think I think Abraham must have been frustrated because I believe this, that if Abraham would have gone back to God and said, would you spare it on account of me, I believe God would have done it. Because if not, why would God have even moved to 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or 10? Let me tell you something. You can appeal to God. You can appeal to God. You can appeal to Him on, your, on the basis of His character. You can appeal to Him on the basis of His promise, His Word. You can appeal to Him on the basis of His very nature and His desire to bless your life, to do something in your life. So she appeals. She, she pleads her case. And as she, she pleads her case and he, he doesn't seem to stop, she then appeals. It's like his, his judgment wasn't going to stand. She was going to press past even that. And she appeals. In Psalm 145, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. I love this about this woman. Then the finally, final thing I want you to see is her determination. Her absolute determination. I want you to see her decision, her, her desperation as she goes after. And then I want you to see her determination. In verse 23, look with me in verse 23 just a moment. In verse 23, Jesus doesn't even answer her a word. She is ignored. She's ignored. Have you ever prayed and God was quiet? Come on now. Yeah. Have you ever asked God for something and you didn't get an answer? Have you ever felt like God ignored you? Yeah. If you've lived for God any period of time, you've gone through. Some people stop right there. If you stop right there, guess what? You don't get what you what is available. You don't get what's available. But this woman, she, she refused to be ignored. She refused to be ignored. Jesus, in telling one of the parables, tells the story of a woman who comes at night asking for bread for her child. And the, 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 the man's asleep. He says, go away, come back tomorrow. But she keeps knocking. I need it. I need it now. Go away. I'm asleep. The kids are in bed. Come back tomorrow. She refuses. And the Bible says for her persistence, for her persistence, she receives what 
she came forth. The second thing I want you to see is not only is she ignored, in verse 24, she's rejected. She is rejected. Jesus, not only does he not talk to her, the disciples are saying, send her away. Push her away. I don't want to have anything to do with her. It's like nobody, they just kept pushing her aside. She's rejected. It didn't stop her. It didn't stop her. I'm going to tell you, I've watched this in the church. I've watched this in people's lives. I have seen how easy it is for us at times to get this feeling of rejection. Can can, can I deal with some issues just for a moment? I'm going to tell you, one of the hindrances that we have in the church today, particularly in the Western church, is that we have kind of gotten into this more touchy-feely, kind of navel-gazing aspect where everything's about me. And, oh, you know, oh, you just rejected me. You know something? We have to get over some things if we're going to get a hold of what God has for us. We have to begin to develop a little thicker skin if we're going to get a hold of what God has for us. And then the third thing I want you to see is in verse 26, she's slandered. She is slandered. This woman is ignored. She is rejected. And then she's slandered. She's literally called a dog. Now, in our world of political correctness, that would never fly. He has just issued a racial slur towards a people. Terrible. A dog. It's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. But do you know something? This woman is undaunted. She is not moved. She, it's as if she is completely unfazed by anything that's happening to her. The only thing that she knew was that her daughter had a demon, and she wanted to see that demon cast out. And she knew that there was deliverance that was available. In other words, this woman was not fixed on her circumstances around her. She was fixed on the promise that she knew was available. If God had done that, if the Lord had done that for somebody else, it was available to me. I am going to do whatever I have to do to get a hold of that for my daughter. She was fixed. On the promise. Let me tell you something tonight. If we are going to receive from God, the first thing, it it, it has to produce this decisiveness in us. In Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 24, Jesus is saying this. He's actually teaching a lesson to his disciples. He has come. He is on his way through Bethany, and he's hungry for figs, and he comes up to a tree and he, he, he goes to get figs from the tree, and there's no figs on the tree because it was not time for figs yet. It wasn't even time. And he's wanting figs from a tree when it's not even season. You see, here, there, there's a, listen, if Jesus wants something, Jesus gets what he wants, whether it's in season or out of season. And so Jesus goes to the tree to get for figs, and it's not even the season for figs. And when he gets there, 
he is not happy. He is not happy to the point that he curses the tree. And his, the Bible says his disciples saw it. They saw it. Just put yourself in their place for a moment. Jesus goes up to, the whole group knows it's not time for figs. All of them, they live there. They know it's not time for figs. Jesus goes up to a tree wanting figs, and it's not even time for figs. He doesn't get his figs. He gets a word for a tree and curses it. And they hear him. They see it, and they hear him. Can you imagine what's going through their mind? Boy, wonder what happened to him this morning. He seems to have a serious attitude issue. But they don't say anything to him. They go with him, and the next day they're coming back. And they come back by the same tree. And the disciples notice it. And they say, look, Master, the tree that you cursed is dried up from the roots. And Jesus uses it as a teaching moment. And he teaches them something about prayer. And he says this in, Matthew, in Mark 11, verse 22 through 24. Have faith in God. For truly I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever things he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I believe that one of the keys to us getting a hold of what God has is this deep down desire this, this, this desire that produces a decisiveness, this desire that produces a, a, a passion that causes us to go after what God wants for us. The second thing I want you to see, if you are going to receive from God, not only should it be this decisiveness, but there's got to be a boldness. This woman was asking large. She wasn't afraid to ask for anything. In season, out of season, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. She was bold. If you are going to get a hold of what God has, you need to be bold in your prayer, praying. You need to be bold in your prayer. Ask God for big stuff. Ask Him. Listen, I'm going to tell you what I've started doing. I've quit asking God literally for a neighborhood. I'm asking Him for a city. I'm asking Him for a region. I'm asking God that God would begin to do something bigger than I've ever seen what God would do. If you wanted to ask God for big things, and you know, be bold. Be bold. The last thing I want you to, to know is this, that we've got to be tough. We have got to be tough. We, the, 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 this is no place for sissy Christianity wimpy Christianity. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it. They seize it. Violent men seize it by force. I'm going to tell you something. As the worship team comes back and I, we prepare to close tonight, I want to tell you something. I believe that God has Kairos moments for every single one of you in this place. I believe that God has something in store for every one of us. We, by faith, just like this 
Canaanite woman, we can carve out through our faith, through our persistence, through our diligence, through our decisiveness, through our, our tenacity, we carve out literally a Kairos moment where we even out of season are able to make it our season. Hallelujah. And receive the things that God wants to bring into our lives. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. Father, we thank you tonight for the incredible truth of your word. I thank you for every promise, for all the promises of God are yes, and in Christ Jesus, so be it. And I'm aware tonight that there are people in this room right now that need to experience a Kairos moment. They need to experience a, a, a window in time whereby faith, the supernatural, is opened up to them. Where their circumstances that may seem in the natural to be insurmountable and that there is nothing that can be done, that by the power of God, those things can be transformed. Lord, we thank you for the amazing work that you did in this woman's life. And this story is in your word to tell us and show us and teach us how that we can press in to God's moments for, in our own life. And I ask you right now, may every person here take a hold of your word, take a hold of your truth. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Let's just begin to worship the Lord. Father, I thank you now. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you praise. Just begin to worship Him now. Begin to worship Him now. Allow the Spirit of God to begin to put within you a fire and a zeal for what God has in store. Lord, we receive it now. We receive it now. In Jesus' name, we lay hold of it. Father, for this house, I say, Lord, for this church, we pray. Lord, there is a dream. There is a calling. There is a destiny. There are big things that you have determined to do for this house. And I ask you, Lord God, give this church this region for your glory. Give this church this region for your glory. Let them see something bigger than they could have ever imagined before. Let them lay hold of it. Let them lay hold of it. Holy Spirit of God, glorify yourself tonight. Glorify yourself tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray. We thank you for that. Hallelujah.